Kako. Welcome to episode six of the Moana Nui podcast. Today we sit down with Alika Seiki. Alika is the owner and operator of Maui Comics. He talks with us about the importance of serving your community, particularly in challenging times like what the world is experiencing with COVID. Alika is a champion for the people of Hawaii and the work ethic many natives possess to thrive and survive the high cost of paradise. You can find Alika on Facebook at Maui Comics and Collectibles and on Instagram at Maui Comics. You can also find links to those in the show notes. Aloha, my kako. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Moana Nui podcast. My name is Moana here, and I apologize today. We had some some time zone mix-up. Alika is joining us from Hawaii. I'm so happy to have him here. Uh, Alika Seiki is the owner and operator of Maui Comics and Collectibles on the island of Maui. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the ups and downs of running a small business in the most expensive state in the, in the United States. And Alika is also a co-founder of a nonprofit called Maui Comic Con, where he engages with the local colleges and the community at large to incorporate educational outreach into pop culture. Alika is, I believe, he can correct me when he comes on, but I think he's the only comic book uh, owner on the island of Maui, which is pretty amazing. Um, and I'm sure that provides both some challenges and some advantages. So without further ado, let's welcome Alika. Aloha, Alika. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for um, you know taking the time to come and join us today on, on the podcast. We're really excited to have you. I know we've been trying to do this for a while and COVID has thrown... I've been, I've been watching your other episodes. I, I love I love the show, so... Yay, I'm excited. You know, when I first started it, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have enough content. I don't know if people are going to, you know, be able to listen. But um, yeah, it's been, you know, so many people like to talk to i think i think the representation that you you know you focus on and with your hawaii roots and also you know you also have um you know your roots over there they're like i just feel like the sky's the limit because there's there's such a hunger for that kind of uh you know content right now we need a lot more of it a lot more that's done well you know absolutely i mean we are making progress i am seeing progress but i yeah there's yeah like you said the sky's the limit there's so many things i want to do i'm sure there's a lot of things a lot of us want to do but unfortunately so many ideas and so little time I found that like that's a common theme among a lot of the like even the members of the Hawaii Comic Book Alliance, you know, yeah. the comic book creators that kind of buoyed up. Like pretty much everybody we meet on the scene is just so motivated and bursting with ideas, and it's like there's not enough hours in the day. Right. And that you know that's when you know there's like a true passion is like no matter what you do, you're like awake and breathing, and you're still trying to. <laughs> you know, push something forward. Absolutely. I just wanted to shout out to one of our um, fellow Hawaii Comic Book Alliance members, DJ Kiavekane, who's uh, watching today. He said, what's up, Alika? (laughs) DJ's a man. (laughs) Yeah, We so I... On the intro, when you said I was the only comic book store, now that was true when I first opened. I was the first comic store in a decade. For 10 years, we didn't have a comic store on Maui. Two years into it, another store opened up in Lahaina called Game Over Comics. Uh, and they were great guys, Chris and Aaron. Um, unfortunately, once uh, you know COVID hit about that time, I don't know if it was timed with COVID because of COVID. You know, I know that they were dealing with other things, but they ended up closing their brick and mortar store and stopped carrying mm-hmm. new products. They exist. They exist as a business, um, and they do like pop up sales and stuff. They still sell pops and collectibles and comics and things like that. And I think they even hold D and D group. I'm not sure um, if they've been meeting during the pandemic. I doubt it. So they still exist, but they're no longer a brick and mortar store. So I'm back to being the only brick and mortar comic store on Maui again. So I just had to add that to make sure everybody knew about Game Over Comics as well. Who we are great great guys yeah that's awesome i mean we're all a community right so (laughs) it's it's always good when we have you know multiple um businesses to support and you know more resources amongst us you know you know on maui it's just so hard because i'm centrally located because i feel like everybody can get there but lahaina is like this it's like another island you know people (laughs) if you don't live in lahaina you go there maybe once a year (laughs) 
<laughs> it's true. So, true central. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Chris and Aaron were doing a great job of serving that area, but unfortunately they're the brick and mortar store closed. So it's back to square one. Yeah. I guess because they are, so it's like a plus and a minus, right? It's good because it's when, when it's, you know, regular times, you have a lot of tourists that come there and I'm sure have great interest in comics and staying up to speed, even while they're on vacation. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, when that drops, you know, when we have the quarantine and everything, of course, that means their clientele are gone. So, yeah. Although I will say that, you know, especially in my experience and I'm sure in Chris and Aaron's because and no hard feelings, but like, you know, a couple of my customers are from Lahaina. So when Chris and Aaron opened, they migrated over there and I was, you know, I was perfectly fine with that. I was happy because it costs these people less. They don't have to make a trip to town to get their comics, but it's, yeah, it's just, I think they being in Lahaina might've depended more on tourists than I had. Although I, you know, I had really great tourist based uh, business and customers. We have a really strong local core, which, which has been helping me get through this pandemic. Like we cut down a lot of expenses you know, we went into like hibernation mode and the income yeah. we get from our regular customers, our subscribers is kind of sustaining us through this. And it's actually making me kind of rethink our business model once things even return back to normal. So it's kind of, it's been a, a good reset for my business. You know, it, I, I hate to say it because it's such a hardship for a lot of businesses out there, but it was a, it was a reset that we were able to survive thankfully. And we learned a lot from it. Yeah, that's great. I w that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask because I know for a lot of uh, businesses, it's it's been really hard, particularly ones that are, I guess I would say entertainment based, right? Like that require yeah. uh, people to be out and about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, well, yeah, I know a lot of musicians, poor things, man. Like there was actual legal restrictions on performing live. I know that DJ was doing the smart thing a lot of performers do is doing online uh, performances. Yeah. And so, you know, I hope that was helping a lot of musicians. I know it's nowhere near as good as gig money, but everybody's trying to find an angle to get by, you know? And Yeah, absolutely. So um, do you think there's opportunity for, um, like, just because you brought it up, like D DJ, you know, um, looking for gigs. Have you thought about, like, how you can position yourself, like Maui Comics bringing together, whether it be creators or um, musicians, like, to kind of collaborate together online, like, similar to how we would do in person? or yeah i mean i think a lot of interesting things are happening people of course are more open to tuning into those kind of things because that's the only game in town now they can't like go see live music very much or at all there's been like so few since everything started and it's interesting you said that because i moved our stores moved a lot in the last few years we've had a lot of shakeups. we were in the mall last year which is a great location and it put us, you know, very central and easy to find. And it was a large space, but it also cost a little more money than we were making in the space. We weren't uh, necessarily justified in having it. I wish we could have stayed there. It was a beautiful space. It, mm -hmm. Everything about it was great, but the downside was we couldn't necessarily afford it. And we ended up before the pandemic even happened just by and it seemed like bad luck, but now it's definitely, in hindsight, very good luck. We moved over to uh, Request Music up in Wailuku on uh, North Market Street. And we're inside the, you know, people know Request Music in Wailuku is the only record store on Maui now. And mm -hmm. it's, like a, it's a dinosaur, you know, people don't, old record stores, you can look at vinyl and hard media in person. Nobody does hard media anymore. So we're kind of a, a perfect match. And they have music shows. They're actually going to have, uh, I think the Lamonts are going to be playing. I don't know if it's at request, but um, they've been trying to bring back a little bit of live music. And I think we're going to have to incorporate that live aspect, you know, that streaming aspect to live performances because you can only have so many people in the venue. Right. So you can't really make that the money you used to on that. So it's interesting because, yeah, now that I'm in Request Music, back to that, had I not moved into Request Music, had I stayed in the mall and the pandemic hit and we weren't allowed to be open while having to pay the mall's rent, Maui Comics would not exist right now. So that's why I'm saying it's in hindsight, it was very lucky that we had to move and go to Request Music because Request had been, it's been like very warm, nurturing spot for us to recoup and lick our wounds. Even if COVID had not happened, Joe Alouetta, the owner of Request Music is so uh, nurturing. He's a businessman and he knows, but he's, he's also a comic lover and he's very supportive of the store and gives us terms that are fair that help us survive this uh, thing. So if not for Joe Alouetta at Request Music, Maui Comics would be done for. So we're, we're limping on into the future because of him. Something interesting about that, and I, I've said it elsewhere before, but 
Joe, when I was a kid, he had a little comic store called Joe's Comic Corner. And it was the same situation where he was in another store. He was in a store called Annie's Bookstop uh, right across Main Street in Wailuku, pretty much diagonally from where Request Music is now. Mm -hmm. And I, as a kid, went there and shopped. Like, you know, I bought my the X-Men number one. That's the store I bought my X-Men number one at and my Sabretooth number one. So that was the era that he was selling comics. And so I didn't realize this until after I moved in. And I was like, wait a minute, you own Joe's Comics. No wonder why you were so like cool with moving me into your... Because <laughs> I thought it was too easy. Like I asked him, he's like, okay. I was really? like, I thought it would be harder than that. <laughs> That's such a cool story because it's like full circle, right? Like this is kind of your origin and you're going back. And now you guys are able to collaborate together. I just, yeah, when things work out like that, where there's, it's just too many coincidences for it to be a coincidence, you know, it's like he, and he was, he was so cool with selling comics when we were kids. A lot of people also remember Perry. Perry's the main guy who was under the bridge down the hill, uh, right above where the bowling alley once was, which is now self-storage, right above Baldwin High. There's Perry's uh, complete comics. And Matt was there for like 20, 30 years or whatever, however many years I was there. It was like 80 something to 2005. I think was the lifespan of that store. And uh, a lot of people remember him and that was my regular store. But I always would go up to Joe's Comics. I, I would make my dad, in the 90s, Maui had like five comic stores. I would make my dad every weekend take me on an island-wide tour to every comic store and he would do it because he was a collector too he like he his friends owned card stores which surprisingly outnumbered comic stores in the 90s there was my dad's friend had one in the wailuku industrial and he would give me the marvel cards full boxes of them because he only wanted the sports cards so he didn't care about the comic cards so that's where i would get those and you know (laughs) but we would you know there was a comic store in lahaina in the wharf uh, it was like a stamp and collectible uh, store, but they also sold comics. And there was there apparent. I didn't know about this one in Kihei. Apparently, there was one in Kihei next to the arcade. I didn't know about that one. Uh, there was Future Treasures, which was near the warehouse Fun Factory in Kahului. Oh, uh, Fun Factory! <laughs> yeah, every, and everybody was at that Fun Factory, so that, I, I'm pretty sure that comic store did pretty. It wasn't a comic store mainly; it was a sports cards and memorabilia, but they added comics later on. And then, you know, of course, Miyako Sushi, everybody remembers the sports cards and whatever, but he also did a little bit of comics and then Joe's comics and complete comics. But there's, and there was also one that lasted one year that was on Wakea Street at the end where um, right across from uh, Ford or Toyota, I think, or whatever, right at the intersection with the highway. But they lasted one year and they had new comics. I remember what year it was. It was the year clandestine number one on Marvel. That was selling in their store. That's what I remember about them. But they painted the whole thing black and it was just like a couple racks and a couple young guys. They only lasted about a year. And then, you know, all the stores closed and only Perry was left. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha. So it sounds like you've been, you know, like, of course, as a collector, um, following the journey of these comic book stores, what advice, like, would you have for someone who might be considering opening a comic book shop or... have a friend who actually just opened one in Alabama. So do you have any like sage advice to offer comic book owners? Like, real advice? So the best advice I got from Chuck Rosansky, the owner of Mile High Comics, did an essay series, a 10-part or probably longer now, uh, essay series on how to open a comic store. And the first seven essays are all about the mindset. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about logistics until you get to like the eighth or ninth essay. But it's imperative you read that mindset stuff because you got to remember, you're not opening a store and it's now your trough of comics where you're feeding at and you're the hungry, hungry hippo collector. You are no longer, <laughs> if you open a comic store, you can no longer be a collector. You are now a different person. You're a retailer and your job is to serve that community. You can't, you can't undercut that community or the store at your own benefit. And so that was a big piece of advice that I really took to heart. When I opened my store, I flushed my collection into the store. I basically sold a lot of my most prized comics to keep the store going and pay the bills and things like that. And it was, you know, it was painful for me. I'm, I'm not 100% emotionally prepared to not be a collector, but I had to mentally prepare myself for that. So that's one thing is if someone wants to buy it, sell it. Don't ever hold on to something. If you're a store, don't do that. There's nothing good that can come of that. And uh, and then, you know, the practical thing that I learned as being a retailer, because you're essentially a diamond franchisee, mm-hmm. is that 
your invoices come on a weekly basis. So from the second you receive your first shipment on, you better have a game plan to keep those bills paid because the bills don't stop. They don't take a break. They don't hold up or anything. And so you hit the ground running. So make sure I did not have a big chunk of change saved up when I opened the store. I just took the bare minimum, opened my store, and I had to hit the ground running paying invoices out of my <laughs> income for the store, which is not a good way to do it because you're always fighting against time. Am I going to be able to make this invoice and this and that? So my advice would be, you know, have at least three months ready for prepaid uh, for your invoices to give yourself that leeway. I know it sounds like a lot of money, but you'll thank yourself. And then... <laughs> And and then and then it's just like you know just be open minded and be supportive and it's and uh, yeah I, I you have to love comics it's not a business venture it's it's something that you have to be passionate about to serve the community well that uh, you actually love the medium and you love the material and you know you don't have to necessarily actually like everything you don't have to be like but don't be the comic guy either from the simpsons don't be like Ugh, i you know who would read that is like you know there's there's a comic for everybody you can't like snob on anything you know yeah absolutely like the community is is everything right and i feel like any type of business venture that you're embarking into, you have to be passionate about it. And yes, money is a big part of it, but that can't be the only thing. Otherwise, you're just going to... Well, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I I have a job. I Aside from doing comics, this is not my only gig. I am a civil engineer. I'm a licensed professional mm -hmm. engineer. And so I, I, do, I do pretty good with that work. And it gave me the freedom in my life right. uh, to pursue a passion, which was comics. There's just something echoing and nagging about art and culture and literature and comics, of course, that when I'm near it, when I'm around it, when I'm surrounded by it, it just, uh, I feel better, you know? So the store, the fact that it exists makes me feel better. And I don't, like, if anybody ever ends up buying my store for me or opening another store and my store closes, I would gladly patronize their store. Just the fact that Maui has a comic store is just something I think is necessary. And I'm happy to be that person for now. I don't think I hold a monopoly on that. Like, when Game Over Comics opened up, I was pretty happy to share the you know the community and the and things like and the duty and things like that and they were great they were great um in supporting the community too so that kind of thing is important to me that as long as we have like a community oriented comic shop that knows its role in the community and what they're doing and what people value in it you know i think that's important but yeah i, I have my engineering work so <laughs> i like the, the comic store could close and nobody should ever feel bad for me i'm fine <laughs> right yeah i mean because not everybody's in that situation right like some people go into it and they put all their eggs in that basket and who that's a heavy I, basket I, you know and and that's i have a friend in new england who has a, a pretty well-known comic store um called comics and more in uh east hampton and that is his only gig is the comic store and so when there's ups and downs the like you can see it you know this the stress uh wears on him and it where you know when it, the ups and downs wear on me too not to say that they don't mm -hmm. but i you know, I, I have a, a different, uh, it's it's not going to affect me as much as it might affect him if there's a market crash and all comic stores have to close, you know? Right. So I definitely feel for people who are dependent on their comic store to as their main gig. So do you think there are any challenges like that you have unique to operating in Maui that like mainland <laughs> I might not have to deal with? I like how you put it that way because the two main problems at any comic store in the world, I'm just going to put money on it right now, is... Their diamond invoice, which is, you know, your weekly, your products and whatever getting in the store and rent, how much it costs to like be in your unit or whatever. And both of those things cost more in Hawaii. Their uh, diamond has a distribution, you know, network. Their distribution network ends at Oahu, meaning that I still have to pay to ship my comics from Oahu to me. I pay, I pay additional shipping on top of what everybody else they pay their LTL and their freight as part of their diamond invoice. I actually have to pay another company, uh, Expeditors, who are excellent, by the way. They're great to bring my comics from Oahu to me. That means not only do I not get my comics on Tuesday, meaning I'm opening the boxes on Wednesday and sorting them out, you know, meaning that I, I can't even meet street dates for my customers. They have to show me understanding. And I try to get them sorted out so that late in the day, Wednesday, they can get their comics. 
Probably the only other stores that deal with this are maybe Alaska, I would imagine. <laughs> and I have another friend in Big Island, um, Enjoy Comics, Mike Sato. You, you're probably familiar with yeah. him. And so me and him are in the same boat. We get our comics later than anybody else in the country. And we have to pay more to get them. And then, so that's, you know, the invoices. But And that's a unique challenge. But we also we also have to deal with our rent being so high in Hawaii. There's no cheap rent anywhere right. on Maui. You know, Maui is like premium retail. I think in the 2008 housing crash, <laughs> the prices went down for like a couple months and then they bounced back like rubber. It was crazy. There's like, the prices don't stay low in Maui ever for long. That's so interesting. I, I didn't even realize that about the shipping costs. I mean, I know like Hawaii is just messed up because, well, we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, right? So a lot of benefits that people on continental U.S. have, you know, as a business are not enjoyed by <laughs> businesses in Hawaii. When you're, when you're talking about shipping and distribution, like mainland people will never know how much of a bum out it is when it says no shipping to Alaska and Hawaii. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you for showing me this awesome thing I can't have. <laughs> it's like, you know, and to Diamond's credit, they get the comics to Oahu right. on that distribution network. So there are like, I think there's about 10 stores. Now there's about two less because Collectors Maniacs and uh, Geckos on Oahu both closed down recently. So, right. but there's still, I'm willing to wager almost 10, maybe like eight, seven or eight yeah, comic stores on Oahu. So they, they get the benefit from that. They can just go pick up their comics and pay the diamond freight and they don't have to pay any more, you know, but outer islands, you know, Maui, uh, Big Island, we were definitely paying for it. It's, it's funny because that's, you know, some people have asked, why don't you move home? And I'm always like, well, number one, it's so expensive. And number two, like running a business would cost me even more, you know? It's insane um, running a bit. And it's, you know, even our direct, my, you know, parents and grandparents, that's plantation days, man. Those people hustle. That's right. workers. That's the workers of the workers, man. They make the world go round. So right. people, in Hawaii, people in Hawaii have a work ethic and a lot of people have a side hustle. You know, you work at Maui Electric, but you do plate lunches on the side or, you know, <laughs> it's like people here know how to make money and they have the energy and the work ethic and the wherewithal to do it. So it's very impressive. Everybody's a multitasker here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, <laughs> I take that even though I'm not there now. <laughs> I'm like the queen of multitasking. Yeah, well, I mean, at least you might be able to save some money out there. Things are a little cheaper. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so um, understanding that part, does that provide any unique advantages to working? So like I know sometimes working with independent creators or publishers can be, you know, a little challenging for comic book shops for various reasons. Does that, you know, the, the shipping thing weigh into your decisions about like what indie books you carry and who you work with there? You know, Thanks to United States Postal Service flat rate shipping, I think that has done a lot to level the playing field. I use the Postal Service flat rate shipping for my comic needs. If an indie creator is sending me stuff, I have them do it. First of all, I, I carry mostly just local stuff to kind of skirt that. I like if you walk into my store, the indie stuff you're seeing is homegrown, is like, you know, Oahu, Big Island, Maui you know but local stuff it's local and so i don't have to worry about the shipping on that they have to worry about the shipping on getting the product here because it's not printed on island but that's a different story but when i deal with a mainland creator or people who are based out of the mainland like i bought some goods from you you guys shipped it to me flat rate usps and that kind of made it affordable right it didn't really mm -hmm. bump the price up on me and there's a couple other you know, trusted partners I was dealing with. He just did the Treble Within. It's on its issue three. And I thought it was a great idea. It's a Sonic-based superpower character, and he's a DJ. His name, I'm trying to remember his name, but it's Antoine. But he, the book is great. It's called Rhythm, the Treble Within. And we have issue one and two, and they just came out with issue three. They published that through Comics Wellspring or uh, Kaboom or something like that. One of those indie uh, printers. I contacted the printer directly and I told them, hey, can you just mail me this USPS flat rate so I don't get overcharged? And they did it. They were super cool about it. So that's my solution for indie stuff is US Postal Service flat rate should help us out. And yeah. so uh, I love the Postal Service. They make participating in the global economy so much, so much easier for a store like mine, you know, for especially being in Hawaii. Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful too. Um, you know, when I started my 
my the clothing side of my business. Yeah, <laughs> you know, survive without the postal service. That's for sure. So thank you, postal workers. Yes, um, we, we appreciate you. We know y'all going through some stuff right now. Question that we had from someone. Um, so what's your take? How well do you think comic shops at large will survive? the pandemic and this depression. Oh, yeah. I mean, the writing was on the wall before the pandemic that there was so much going on in the industry that was uh, troublesome, you know, kind of affecting people's livelihoods. Comic stores are already closing by the bunches. You know, there's still some opening them up to the passion. Passion. That's the weird thing is, I and I, this is a hot take. People tend to not agree with me on it. They get mad at me when I say it, but I blame Diamond. Diamond is a monopoly. They owned the market for over 20 years by themselves and did nothing to grow it. It essentially stayed the same size for 20 years. There's mm -hmm. no innovation when you're a monopoly. There's no, yeah. you know, there are, there are so many things that people who love comics, like myself, I've got 30 ideas ready to just pop off at the mouth to tell you how to expand the comic industry. None of which will get put into practice because there's a monopoly at the helm right now. So it doesn't even make sense to even, we all know what needs to be done. Comics need to be affordable. They need to be cheaper to make. They need to be cheaper to get in. There needs to be a different terms of distribution. When Borders can't carry new comics anymore, that means there's something wrong with you, Diamond. Not wrong with Borders. There's something wrong with you. Diamond is not easy to deal with. That's why comic stores are essentially diamond franchisees because that's the only place that mainstream comics come from is diamond right now. And so, and you know, DC jump ship on them and not that they're doing any good things for the industry. I don't think they should be praised for what they're doing, but it is good to see that they cost diamond a part of the market share and woke them up to the reality that the industry has to change. Mm -hmm. And if the mainstreamers, if the mainstreamers aren't going to be doing the changing, there's a lot of innovation at the indie level and yeah. we're, everybody at the indie level is ready to step up and take over. We don't care. You know, if Marvel's not going to respect, you know, representation or, or if they are not going to do the things that are needed of them to cater to the young adult market, yeah. you know, like to DC's credit, as many problems as they have, and there's been a lot of bombshells coming out in the past weeks about that, and I'm not addressing that, but they are leaning heavily into the young adult market. They sell a lot of graphic novels, not through Diamond, but through Penguin, right? Mm -hmm. they don't distributor because diamond is basically it's the bottle city of candor it's just sitting there it's not getting any bigger it's not thriving it's just sitting there in a bottle you know and that's the comic industry right now it's in a bottle and they're the walls we can't get out and everybody thinks they're going to die if they leave but I, what i see is comic stores are innovating if you go to a store like copacetic comics they don't even carry diamond comics they scoff at diamond comics okay there's no marvel and dc in their store but their <laughs> store is all comics and book right. graphic novels. You know why? It's because there's a world of comics out there that isn't diamond distributed comics, you know? We just feel the pressure to get there because they have the most, the biggest distribution network. Right. But innovation has happened in distribution. Uh, Amazon, and I hate using them as a positive because Amazon also sucks, <laughs> but they're a distribution alternative. There's enough innovation in we're in the future where there's enough distribution uh, infrastructure that somebody else could take over the game if they wanted to, that if they were really motivated, if they were really organized, could do something to upset the balance. And I think that needs to happen. So COVID was a massive pressure test of all this crap that was already going wrong. And so a lot of stores just had to close. Obviously, comics are a luxury item. That's another piece of advice for comic store owners. Don't ever, ever have the illusion that people need comics. They're a luxury item. They're the first thing to go. If a family's going to starve, don't expect them to pick comics over groceries. And don't be, and this is my number one advice, don't be mad about it. I see comic store owners shaming people for leaving subscription no. in their boxes. And from day one, I have always had a distaste for this. We will never do this to anybody. If you have a subscription pool that you haven't picked up in a long time, you know, and we were still pulling for it and you come back and you're like, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I can't do all this. I can't get all these comics. It's understood. These are luxury items. It. I'm the one who chose to run a business based on luxury items that are not essential to your life. I don't want to shame people and make them feel bad because they wanted to pull comics because at one time they were a supporter of my store and they were a customer. And I hope that someday when they're able to, they can come back as a customer. But I don't think they can do coming back if I go and shame them publicly and be like, this is the right pull. It's worth this much money. I could have got this much money if you bought it. It's like, yeah, if. 
if he bought that much comics during a global pandemic. Don't shame your customers. Don't do pull box shaming. That's the number one, number one thing. And that's also a hot take of mine. People don't, comic store owners don't like when I say that because they've, it's, you see the comics in the box and you're like, you get mad. You're like, well, if this guy bought it, I'd have hundreds of dollars right here. I'd be able to pay the bill. But you got to think about it a couple steps further about what you're doing when you're shaming that person for not picking up that pole. It's like, they might not be able to afford it. They may be getting evicted. And then you go and make a Facebook post about not picking up the polls. Yeah, way to go, guy. You're a real hero, you know? I love this perspective. It's it's such a, a fresh perspective because I have... I am the only comic store saying this, and I hope it's <laughs> wrong, but I'm sorry to all the comic stores who've done this in the past. There's time to atone. I'm not mad at you. Just, I understand why you did it, but don't do it. These people love comics yeah. and they want to love you. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> so like, I mean, I get it, right? Like being a business owner, you have expenses to pay. Shaming those customers and, you know, like that's not, you, you, you have to it. think about that long-term relationship, you know, like you're, like you're, going you're, part, of you're part of the community, you know, yeah. if, if your auntie borrows money from you and owes you money, are you going to walk over there with somebody to break her legs? No. <laughs> you're like, okay, auntie, whatever. I know things are hard. Just take your time, whatever. Right. Think about it. You're in a community. You're part of a community. That's so true. And I feel like that's kind of weeding out like, you know, the the ones that are in it for the wrong reasons, you know, like that are focused on only only the profit, yeah. right? Um, and forget about the community. And you know, as, as a business person, that's why I say I understand you need to focus on the bottom line. That's not something you can totally ignore. I'm not like in this imaginary world where money doesn't exist and we don't need to keep it flowing to make a business work. But at the same time, you need to understand what business you're in. And it is very community based you can't be like harming the community while you believe you're helping it you know i mean you earlier you brought up innovation and that's definitely important like how can you think out of the box about how to okay maybe you're suffering with your ongoing customers right but how can i attract new customers to this how do you separate yourself from you know other comic book shops um i follow um jesse james comics in uh, arizona yeah, yeah, I've heard of them, yeah. he's amazing he uh set up this whole you know, thing on Facebook and he's brought in comic book shops and given them opportunities to, you know, get in front of people and built up this. Yeah. I mean, it's shared, right? It's not like everybody's like, no, buy from me only. No, it's like, yeah. it's comics, right? Like comic book shops have only so many copies. And so like you, you know, the, the popular books, you'll see like, oh crap, this guy, damn, I, I missed out over there. Okay. I'm going to check out this show and this show. And it's just more opportunities for you to build up that relationship. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, goes back to when I was a kid. I, variety is the spice of life, man. Yeah. It's like, I love comics. I love every store that was ever open. <laughs> they all have something <laughs> about them that I like, you know? And it's like, just be grateful. There's comic stores. <laughs> I'm, I'm stoked. There's so many and there's, they're innovating, you know, you're <clears> right. <throat> There's so many of them innovating right now that's, you know, maybe I might steal a good idea here and there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Let's see. We have about 15 minutes left. Can we talk a little bit about Maui Comic Con and like yeah, what yeah. you guys are doing with the local community there? Yeah. I mean, so when I first opened the store, it, I was just naturally, there were comic conventions already happening on Oahu. There was amazing. There's Comic Con Honolulu, you know, big events. There's a lot of people. There's 10 times the people on Oahu that there are on Maui. But it's so cost restrictive, even if the events didn't cost money, which they do. So once you get over there, you've also got to pay to get in and everything. Mm -hmm. But to fly over there, if you and a convention is a family affair. So you're flying with your family, you're putting your family up for room and board, you're eating meals out because you're in a not in your home area. And it's expensive. It's an expensive thing for an outer island uh, people. And so I was just like, we need to get some of that action on Maui. We need to bring in some big name artists. We need to create a forum for our local artists. We need to get our collectibles vendors, which we know exist because the swap meet and we just, you know, in the community have made many retail partners, guys who are like private sellers and stuff like that. They exist, you know? Yeah, we, we just, uh, I, I knew that a convention in some form should happen and I had been sketching up notes and then, you know, a lot of regulars at the store, my friend uh, Ken Gardner was uh, the co-founder of the comic convention and he was pretty proactive about it. He was working at the time in Lahaina, Lahaina Cannery Mall and 
was speaking with the management and he approached them. The management was super cool and open because the mall was uh, not doing well business-wise. Ken just asked them straight out of the blue, hey, can we have a comic convention here? And they said yes. And so he comes back to me and he's like, hey, these guys said we can have a convention. And it's like uh, June or July at this point. And they said in October. And I was like, holy crap. So in three months, we planned a convention. And DJ Cavicani in the chat is one of the big reasons we had a great headliner. We got two great headliners out of it, actually. We got Steve Lealoha, which is actually his uncle, his uncle. He met him at his family reunion. And I remember him telling me that story. And I'm like, hey, DJ, (laughs) you think you get Uncle Steve out here? And then uh, I did not know this. And shame on me for not really knowing much about Trina Robbins before she came. But she was she's she is Steve Lealoha's partner. You know, she was communicating with me. And I'm embarrassed to say I wasn't familiar with her career. You know, it's actually she's a pioneer in comics from the 70s on. And she was part of even the fashion scene and in San Francisco in the 60s, which is huge because that's where a lot of rock and roll. And she has a lot of history with rock and roll stars from that time period. And and she's an icon in herself. So I'm just so grateful that she was very forgiving with me not knowing who she was initially and educating me on her career and who she was. She was a special, special treat to have that first year. And also, uh, we had a Disney artist, James Silvani, who's also a board member of the convention. And he brought out a couple of uh, guests who also worked on Darkwing Duck, which uh, Aaron Sparrow was the writer of the comics at the time, and Tad Stones, the creator of Darkwing Duck, which I, you know, what an amazing lineup. We so lucked out at having that headlining. And then the Hawaii Comic Book Alliance, at the drop of a hat, they, they were out here. All, they, and we had a huge, robust artist alley. And then all the vendors came out and we're having a great time. And it was just, it was magic. I cannot believe it was just such a beautiful thing. The first Maui Comic-Con, it came together in three months. Everybody put hands on it and everybody held it up and made it this beautiful, awesome thing for the community. And we were just like, this is great. This went better than we ever thought it could have gone. So let's just keep doing it. You know, eventually James's, uh, James Silvani's wife, who's a lawyer, uh, helped us form the Maui Comic-Con. Uh, as a nonprofit. And so in 2018, the convention was formed as a nonprofit. 2019, which was last year's convention, was the first year we actually were fully operational as a nonprofit while the convention was happening. So it's been great. I mean, it's been getting better. We've just been kind of improving on the theme. It's kind of like making a stew. We know all the ingredients we want, and it just gets better over time. We want local artists to come in and display their stuff. Uh, We want local vendors to come and sell their stuff. We want to have a giant cosplay competition, which you know, is actually larger than uh, the conventions on Oahu. Our judge, uh, the organizer, Night Darling, Lindsay Kiyocho, uh, who's a well-known cosplayer in Hawaii, uh, she organized the convention from year one, and that's why we call it the Night Darling Cosplay Competition, because that's totally her baby. She organized it. She did everything, the rules, the prizes. She just made it happen. She made magic happen. And the Night Darling Cosplay Competition is the largest cosplay competition in Hawaii right now. And so, you know, we're talking about the future of that, too, and trying to make things work with that. There's another cosplay competition on Maui also, which is actually a huge one, too, uh, for the Maui Matsuri, which is the Japanese cultural uh, celebration. Yeah, so we there's multiple cosplayers here on Maui to support that kind of scene, which is awesome. It's a very healthy competition. You know, they bring it, man. Maui cosplayers are great. And they don't have to fly out to outer islands to compete anymore. You know, it's funny. Other conventions, as a prize, will give... Uh, free tickets to their convention as well as entry into their cosplay competition for anybody who wins the Maui Comic Con cosplay competition. So it just oh, goes nice. to show you what kind of action Maui can bring in and what kind of things the our, our convention and these islands can do if we work together. And that's why I'm so grateful to be part of the Hawaii community at large. When we go to Oahu, people are just so aloha and so like they see the Maui guys and they're like, they're super nice to us and stoked on us and loving and well welcoming and everybody's so open and they share and it just makes me have so much hope for everything that's going on in Hawaii is you know that if something goes down if we need like boots on the ground that everybody in Hawaii is ready to form up like Voltron and just (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. We're all waiting for uh, this big moment to happen where, you know, our time has come, you know? 
And it's soon enough because there's so much talent here, pure talent, just so much talent in Hawaii. Yeah, I'm from Hawaii, you know. Yeah, I mean, you guys are from Hawaii, you know. It's, it, it, the talent goes outward, and you know, I'm hearing all this stuff on the mainland happening that wasn't there. I lived in Boston for a while, okay. and you know, a lot of this cultural stuff that you know, living in the mainland was different from Hawaii because Hawaii is like going to 30 different co- countries at once. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you got like the Filipino food and the Hawaiian food and the you know the Portuguese food and like whatever is everything all over the place. And you go to the mainland and you got to go to like Chinatown to get something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but now now filipino food is like this big culinary craze or so i've heard i was like reading articles in the mainland i was like oh, i kind of wish i was there for that that's kind of cool yeah it is a little bit on the come up so um but it's still nowhere near home i mean and i'm kind of a snob when it comes to some of the food too especially yeah, for all these places that are like popping up with pokeballs i'm like oh that's not yeah. a pokeball that's a vegetable ball yeah don't get me started on the pokeballs my <laughs> In New York City, right, there's all these restaurant poke restaurants opening in, in the city and stuff. And then they had that Aloha poke for that whole debacle. Yeah. And, it, and you look at the videos of what they do for poke and they have, like, such a waste of fish. They're like, you know, it's like it looks like soup with fish chunks in it. And it's like, <laughs> oh, nasty, man. Like, <laughs> you're just like... <laughs> Poke is not hard to make either. It's not a difficult dish, but for some reason, they feel the need to mess with it or not follow instructions. I mean, Sam Choi's cookbook is there. All you got to do is just open Sam Choi's cookbook. Boom, poke, you got it. That's it. That's what I'm saying. Keep it simple, bro. Hello. <laughs> Fish. Show you. Boom. You know more Onion. Whatever, man. There's only a handful of things that work with poke. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, all these vegetable bowls, I cannot. And the and yeah, they, like, they want to charge like twenty bucks. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, I saw corn in one of them. I was like, what? The, what is this? Hollow, hollow? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't put pineapple because you know if you put pineapple, Ooh. automatically it's Hawaiian, right? Yeah, right. It's <laughs> so terrible. The culture shock for sure. Um, you know, living in Hawaii and coming over here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you you were in Boston for a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean. I'm sure it's for Hawaiians. It's probably no better in the mainland now than it ever was. You know, I don't think there was ever proper education or representation for obvious reasons too. I think people in the mainland have a stake in keeping Hawaii commoditized, claiming a monopoly on a culture they don't understand, and things like that. It, I think it serves them. So I, you know, it's it's important to be conscious of these kind of things. I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of one thing that um, I've been kind of more humble about before in the future. Because this, I mean, it's kind of like what how we are in Hawaii, right? Like we don't brag about the things that we do and and, and things like that. But you know, every time somebody finds out you're from Hawaii, then they want to ah, and go on their their tourist story, right? Like ah, I was there and la la la, I did yeah. this, I did that, and it was great, you know. And so I met this lady. Uh, I think she, she was in my doctor's office or something. She, you know, she went on her thing, and I kind of flipped it on her, and I was like, well, but do you understand, like? I, I'm happy that you had your great vacation and it's beautiful, but do you understand like what is actually going on in Hawaii and how the people there are actually suffering under this? And she's like, but what about the job market? And I said, people love to sit on that crutch. However, well, if you really- I think that's probably the worst thing I hear yeah. when people from the mainland talk about, oh, but our tourism dollars support your life. Yeah. And it's like, we don't want to depend on that money. <laughs> that's the other reason why I support art and artists because those are people by their own hand making money and they don't need tourism to do it. It's not a service industry. It's, you know, it's a skilled labor. And I'm a huge proponent of that. I'm a civil engineer, right? Mm-hmm. I started as a young person, as a drafts person. Uh, I learned to trade very young. And so I think that's something that Hawaii is lacking is trade schools. Oh yeah. And, and appropriate college infrastructure. You know, I'm not saying that UH is not a great school. It's a good school, but I can't, I, there's no surveying or engineering classes for me to take on Maui. Yes. I happen to know there are plenty of talented people here, young people, yes. uh, middle-aged people who, if they had that kind of education, could further their careers and support their families, create industries of their own. You Absolutely. Know? And so I'm a huge proponent of education. I think I think that things need to. I, I think that the Maui campus of Uni, University of Hawaii is underused. 
it's a great facility. I think a lot more could be happening there. I think we need better programs. I think we need more technical programs, uh, not just these intro to um, graphic design or something that's high level. Because the other messed up thing is all these high level people live here. Yes. They, they get rich. They get rich Silicon Valley people and they get a house in Maui or they, they live here part of the year. Take advantage of those people. You want to you want those people to prove that they care about this community? Then give back. Teach us how to do what you do and make the money that you make. That's how you set Hawaii free is give us the skills and the infrastructure and the ability. Like there was a, a time in the 90s when they were really pushing tech hard. You know, there are many reasons why it didn't take. I, I don't blame, you know, anybody or the locals or anything. The, the educational infrastructure here needs to catch up. We need to be able to compete. So Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally on board with you. It's one of the big reasons why I, you know, wanted to take that adventure on, you know, writing books and providing resources to our educational system, which is severely in need. And, you know, anything we can do to further improve in the trades as well as in STEM, like, I mean, because our people, like, it may not fall under the definition of STEM this, you know, now, but like navigation, hello, like STEM. I, I, I think, I think global culture is starting to become aware of the knowledge and the skill that that was contained in a lot of indigenous uh, mm -hmm. you know, thought and, and there's actually academia in the indigenous world and they don't understand that. And I think they're coming to terms with it finally, be just because it doesn't look like a stuffed jacket with leather elbows and, and a, you know, a brick and mortar building smoking a pipe at Harvard. They, they don't understand how to handle that. And I know that because I was a particularly gifted youth, but I'm from Hawaii, very laid back, very easygoing. So a lot of mm -hmm. people, a lot of people respond in shock when they discover my, Your you know, knowledge. yeah, my knowledge base and my ability and my skills and things like that. And I find that really insulting. I'm like, yes. that, <laughs> that's very, that's a disgusting way to react. So anybody out there, and I'm speaking directly to you, who's ever told me they were surprised that I was smarter than I, I seemed, I took that as a supreme insult and I automatically thought you were stupider for saying it. <laughs> <laughs> In short, screw you. <laughs> but I just had to put that out there. But people need to understand that there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of intelligence here in these islands. And just because it doesn't look the way that you think it should doesn't mean you demean it or you yeah. deny it the, the opportunities or infrastructure that it needs to thrive. You know, I, you know, I've, I've worked at a high level in, in skilled labor, in licensed professional labor. I understand what it takes. And when I see young people not given that opportunity, when I clearly recognize the raw talent and skill in them, it disgusts me. It yeah. makes me so upset. And so, but I think that's changing. I feel like that's changing. People are coming around and realizing that being prejudicial or stereotyping mm -hmm. or coming to a situation thinking that you know everything uh, is not the best way to be. And I think that, I think that's definitely changing. I'm hoping that's changing. Yes, that arrogance, like, I can't stand that. It's, it's terrible. There's no way to respond to it. Mm -hmm. Because if you respond to arrogance by saying, but I outrank you in the things that you are <laughs> arrogant about, then that too is also arrogant. So you have to be arrogant to beat the arrogance, right? <laughs> and it's, like, it's just a losing battle. And so I just don't engage. Agreed. I, yeah, I don't engage. I just, I just love proving people wrong. You know, I like yeah, when you tell me I, what I can't do. I'm like, <laughs> watch me. My existence is proof. My favorite saying is the proof is in the pudding. Yes. So it's like, I don't need to tell you all these things. Right. If you, I'll just experience, if you have experience with me, you will learn these things. I don't yeah. need to. I don't need to boast. I don't need to brag. And, you know, and I don't need to prove anything to you. There's no, there's nothing in it. I'd kind of just let the proof be in the pudding. Great advice, guys. I hope you're, you're <laughs> taking this to heart. Well, it's been such a great opportunity to talk to you. I know we had other topics and it sounds like we'll have to have a, a round two. I would love to be back because the, the topics of land, Hawaiian land sovereignty and cultural rights over there, over their land, over the Aina, those are very important things to me as well. I'm by no means an expert, but it's something I'm also very passionate about. So I don't mind talking story about it if, if you ever have the time again. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's definitely something I want to cover. Maybe we could even um, talk to Brother Keao Mokukapu and see if he'd be willing to join us. Keao Mokukapu would be the number one guy to talk about. I I love him. I love their mission. Uh, he's 
He's the founder uh, and president of Naikane Maui, who's doing great things for Kanaka, getting them to hold on to their land, their Kuleana land, protect their land. And he's won court cases, billion, multi-billion dollar court cases against against these multi-millionaires and billionaires. It just proves that he's right. Mm-hmm. And the Hawaiians are right to want their lands to have sovereignty and, and have control over their their culture and their their aina. So I, I think if anybody has time, go look. Um, Keao Moku Kapu of Naikane Maui. Just look them up and have a look at what they're doing. Lance Collins, who is his lawyer in the Supreme Court case, they're doing incredible things for Hawaii right now. And not just in land, uh, but also in water rights. Uh, Lance Collins yeah. is with Isaac Moriwaki with uh, um, Earth Justice. And they're the lawyers representing um, Hui O. Eha, which are the waters in Wailuku. Uh, they're making sure the interim stream flow is respected, which Wailuku Water Company is not uh, respecting, and so they're monitoring them. Uh, a lot of amazing, incredible things happening on Maui specifically, but across the islands in general. That's definitely a conversation I want to have. We will happily welcome you back for round two. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Moana. Thank you so much. Uh, no. Mahalo Nui for coming on and giving us just some of your time today. Um, for people who want to follow you, what's the best way for them to connect with you online? So I have the Facebook page for the store, Maui Comics and Collectibles. We have an Instagram um, at Maui underscore comics. Also for the Maui Comic Con, uh, Instagram is at Maui Comic Con. Uh, Facebook is also Maui Comic Con. Very easy. If you need to contact me, you can do Maui Comics and Collectibles at gmail.com. You Google it, it'll pop up. It's easy to find. But um, I'm pretty much only on Facebook and IG. Kind of a dinosaur that way. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Um, I'll just do some quick shout outs to some folks that were in the chat. Um, sorry, I wasn't able to keep up with all the comments, but aloha nui to um, DJ Kiavekane, Free Isabello. Um, yeah, free. <laughs> fellow <laughs> members of the Hawaii Comic Book Alliance yeah. represent D. Momilani Thomas, a good friend of mine, Newton Lilavoa, creator of Crescent City Monsters, which I think you should consider in your store. Oh, yeah, I'll check it out. You always post <laughs> some amazing art, so I, I got to find out who these people are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Keaton Jones, Tita Gloria and Pollard, Leiji Harlock, which I, I'm pretty sure you know. Yeah, Amy. Yeah, she's a good friend of the store. Keith Cooper from Blurdish, who's Provided me nice, with my yeah. here. I have been following Blurdish, so you get two friends, man. I, <laughs> yes, I, I, I surround myself with greatness, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but um, yeah, for everyone who's listening, thank you guys for being here. Um, please give us a share, give us a thumbs up, a follow, not- hit the notification bell. Um, and if you have suggestions on other guests that you would like to hear from, please drop me a note, Moana at burningspearcomics.com and we'll you know take a look and see if we can bring those people on so i think that's all for today again mahalo alika and thank you again everyone for being here take care everybody malama pono wear your mask be good to each other be kind and take care bye-bye aloha moana